Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. I have to warn you to lower your expectations today. I know normally I tell you this is the highlight of civilization, the best thing that ever happened to you. But today, honestly, it's still the best thing that's ever going to happen to you. And I don't have anything today. Do I know what's going to happen today? Nope. No idea. Will I fall asleep right in front of you? Good chance. Good chance. Yes, I woke up this morning and uh, I looked at the uh, shades and there was something that wasn't supposed to be happening on the other side of those shades. Do you know what it was? Something that never happens to me when I'm waking up. Yeah, there was light out. (laughs) I I don't wake up when the light's out. If the sun beats me up, I've done something terribly wrong. But how do we get things on track? Easy. All you need is a cup or a mug or a glass, a tanker, chalice or stein, a canteen, jug or flask, a vessel of any kind. Fill it with your favorite liquid. I like coffee. I almost forgot what I like there. Um, uh, enjoy me now for the unparalleled pleasure, the dopamine of the day, the thing that makes everything better. And boy, do I need it today. It's called the simultaneous sip. Go. Ah. Yeah, that was good. I was just asked if I could explain how hypnosis works. Anybody want to hear that? How hypnosis works? How does it work? Would you like to be hypnotized? Excuse me. So, there are two ways to hypnotize people, broadly speaking. A lot of what I say about hypnosis will be things that other people would not say. I don't know why, but everybody might just have their own take about how to describe this thing that can't be described. One kind of hypnosis is one person working with one person, and you tell that person to relax and sit in a comfortable place and... um, Maybe even close their eyes, or you might have them close their eyes during the hypnosis. The other kind is where you're just talking to somebody, the kind I'm doing right now. Do you think I could hypnotize you just by talking to you on this live stream? What do you think? Do you think I could hypnotize you without you knowing you had been hypnotized? (laughs) Of course. But of course, there's a definitional thing, right? So as long as I don't say you are getting sleepy and you know, put a little watch in front of you and swing it back and forth, you would say to yourself, that's not hypnosis. That's just you being persuasive. And you would be correct. That's exactly what it is. So you can think of it as a continuum from most persuasive to least. 
But what does it, what's the difference between just talking to somebody and focusing an actual hypnotic um, session? And the difference is probably focus, and that's about it. If I'm, if I'm trying to influence you verbally, some of the times you're talking, well, that's no good. <laughs> I don't need to hear you talking. It should be more about me. When a hypnotist is working with a subject, the subject doesn't do any talking, typically, and the hypnotist does it all. They also don't have any other distractions. So it's just the two of you in a room. Typically, you don't want to have uh, you know, an audience. And so what you get when two people are doing it, and that's all they're doing, is the focus. And it also feels like it's more important, which turns out to be an important variable to hypnosis. If you came to get hypnotized by me, and I said, all right, we're going to do it in the living room here. Go sit on the couch, and I'll hypnotize you. It would work. It would work. But suppose you came to my office. There was a hypnotist's office. And it was like a proper office, you know, uh, in, in a big building. It's got a, maybe a receptionist. And you go into a, a room, and it, it's obvious that this is the hypnosis facility. And then I come in, and I've got like a doctor's outfit on, or maybe a suit. And I'm all professional. Could I hypnotize you then? Yes. And it would be easier. <laughs> because once I'd set up the situation you would be hypnotized before you walked in. <laughs> You'd talk yourself into it. You would basically be pre-hypnotized before you walked in the door. And we learn that as hypnotists. You learn, you learn to create an environment where the person talks themselves into it. Very important. It's a big part of the process. In fact, there's something called the pre-talk, where you talk to somebody before you do the hypnosis to tell them what to expect. And by telling them what to expect... It, it sort of keeps them out of the curiosity mode and lets them just be in the moment. Otherwise, you're just thinking, what's going to happen now? What am I going to do? Does it feel different? You'll have lots of questions, and those will be distracting. So I answer the questions in advance. I'm going to do that now. The number one question people ask is, um, can I be hypnotized? A lot of people say, I don't think I could be hypnotized. And a lot of people say, there was that one person who tried and it didn't work. <clears throat> you can all be hypnotized. You can all be hypnotized. There's no exceptions. There's an exception in terms of how deeply and what level you can go to, but there are no exceptions. If you're willing. If you're not willing, or let's say you're mentally insane or something, that would be harder. If you're drunk, that's hard, right? But if you're just a normal person who is willing, and you're willing to spend the time and just sit there in a relaxed state, yeah, it works every time. Now, it doesn't work every time to the maximum amount. So it'd be like going to the gym. Does going to the gym work? What would you say? Does going to the gym work? Well, not for everybody, right? Some people go twice. They do the arm thing where they're pedaling with an arm because they don't want to stand up, and that's the last time they go. So, so if you say that, does hypnosis work, it's very much like saying, does going to the gym work? Well, sort of yes for everyone who's serious about it. 
But if you're not so serious about actually going to the gym and you're not so serious about actually trying to experience hypnosis, it won't, it won't happen. About 20% of people can experience what's called the phenomenon. Uh, and I love that that's the name for it. So hypnotists call it that sometimes, the phenomenon. Now, the phenomenon is when you can actually just see and hear things that aren't there. Most people can do that to some extent. For example, the most common type of induction is once I had you completely relaxed, and once I had convinced you that something was happening. I could get to that later. But there's a point where you convince the person that you're hypnotizing that something's happening. That's an important part of the process. They have to feel, wait a minute, I think something's happening. So you, you get that uh, something happening thing, and then you, you build on it. So they, you get the person to talk themselves into it, essentially. Let, let me back up to that and tell you how that works. There's a part in formal hypnosis that does not apply to just talking to people that I call the magic trick. So there's part that's just you know, purely exactly what you see. There's no tricks to it at all. You know, if, if I'm talking to you saying you're relaxed or whatever, that's exactly what I'm saying and it's exactly what I mean. There's one exception. It's the magic trick. And the magic trick is where you are convinced that what is happening is because of the hypnotist. And it might not be, but it usually is. It just doesn't matter. <laughs> For example... I'm going to do it to you right now. So if anybody doesn't want to be hypnotized a little bit, you should turn off your device right now or go in the other room or something, right? I'm going to give you the smallest, smallest little hypnotic suggestion. It won't work for everybody, but it will work for some of you. Some of you will work right away. Some of it will take a little while. Some will be a big effect. Some will be a small effect. Excuse me. Oh, I overslept. Now, typically, typically, with, let's say, hundreds of you watching, probably, if hundreds are watching, maybe three or four of you just had to yawn. Did anybody have to yawn or fight a yawn just then? Anybody? Did you feel any, any little uh, draw? Yeah, okay. So some of, some of you did. So here's the other lesson of hypnosis. There's no such thing as everybody acting the same. So a big part of why you have to do it in person and why it doesn't work as well if it's in you know, recorded form or in written form is you have to look for the feedback. If I know it's working, then I say, oh, that worked, and then I'll build on it. If it doesn't work, then I have to go back and get a magic trick that does. So the yawn was a magic trick. It's not one that's used in hypnosis, by the way. No, no hypnotist uses a yawn. I just did that because it was easy. I knew it would work. I could have I told you that you're, you're going to blink more. I, I could have told you that you need to lick your lips and swallow. <clears throat> I could have told you you needed to clear your throat. <laughs> Anything. Anything like that. I could have told you that you're thinking about something that it was just a guess. But if I got it right, you'd say, oh, something's happening. How did you know I was thinking about that? 
So you see, all of these, they're all different things from the yawn to guessing what you're thinking, but they all have that same quality. You think, and maybe you're right, but you think it was caused by the hypnotist. So the moment you know that I'm causing something to happen in your mind or your body, you just open the door. So that's the point where I know, oh, okay, you just handed me the keys. I now have the user interface. If I can't get the magic trick to work, it's because you're resisting. Right? Now, not every magic trick, as I call it, is going to work with every person. The yawn worked on some of you. Some of you, I would have told you that your, your eyelids are getting heavier and you feel like you're going to blink more often. That's the one I use the most. So here's how it works. You're sitting there, and, and I say to you, and I'll say it now, this will affect some of you at home. I'll say, did you know that it actually takes muscles to keep your eyes open? And you'll be thinking to yourself, does it really? I suppose it does, but it's so easy. It's so easy, you don't really think about it, do you? That it actually takes a muscle to keep your eye open. And those muscles can get tired. Sometimes you need to blink just to relax them. In fact, you blink during the day anyway, right? So if you started blinking a little bit more often right now, well, that wouldn't be unusual, would it? Because once you start thinking about those eyes, they are pretty heavy. And when they start blinking, that's normal. You blink all day long, you don't really think about it. But right now, as you're relaxing, and you're going into a complete, relaxed state, you might find that your eyes blink a little bit more often. And as they blink, you'll find that you can actually feel their weight for the first time. You've never really felt their weight before, have you? But when you blink, you feel that when you bring them back up, just it's imperceptible, just a little bit. There's a little bit of weight you can feel on your eyes. And that weight will start increasing because it's a muscle. It's going to get tired. The more you blink, the more tired it's going to be. And as your eyes blink, they might not open up entirely after every blink. In the beginning, they'll open up completely, but with each blink, and as you relax, and as those muscles start to relax, you'll notice that you open up your eyes maybe three-quarters of the way, maybe halfway. And then you'll feel, eventually, and it's starting to happen pretty quickly, for some of you very quickly, and for some of you, take just a moment longer, But you'll feel that you would feel better if the eyes just completely relaxed and they just closed. But you could feel them close as if they're closing on their own. You could divorce your consciousness from your eyes, just let your eyes be what they want to do. And what they want to do right now is relax. And as you feel your eyes blinking more and more and then eventually blink until they close... You can just let it close. You can just allow your eyes to drift close and stay closed. And when you do, whether you've done it yet or you're about to do it, once your eyes are closed, you'll find that a deep sense of relaxation comes over you. And if your feet are both on the floor, and they should be, if you have your legs crossed, uncross them, Put both feet flat on the floor. Make sure you're sitting upright in a, in a position which you wouldn't fall asleep. Comfortable chair, sitting upright. 
Make sure your arms are resting or hanging. Ideally, they would be resting on a surface, let's say the arms of the chair, if you have those. But just let them hang. Now, with your eyes closed, feel your breathing. Just think about your breathing for a moment and just feel it. Feel your inhale and take a little extra inhale. Just pause for just a moment, as long as you want, and then a nice long exhale. And when you're done with the first one, do a second one. Big inhale, long exhale, at whatever pace you like. Now, think about your right arm. Just feel it. Just take your consciousness and move it to your right arm. feels kind of heavy, like a big weight, just laying on the arm of the chair or just hanging down, wherever it is. And you might notice that your weight, the weight of one arm, your right arm, starts to be a little bit heavier than your left arm. Isn't that interesting? Your right arm is getting heavier, and you feel the weight from your left arm actually start to transfer. And when you can feel that difference, when you can actually start to feel the, the difference in the weight between your right arm and your left arm, you might actually eventually feel that left arm so light that it would start to float. But not yet. But not yet. Too soon. You're going to keep feeling that left arm getting lighter and the right arm getting heavier while I take you through this imaginary scene. Imagine that you're in a room with nothing. It's not exactly dark. It's darkish. But you can see, and you can see there's nothing. There are no walls. There's nothing. And then suddenly, in front of you, there appears a stairway down. And you look down the stairway, and you see that there's something interesting about these stairs. On each step, it has some words. And the words are the same. Every step has the same word. And the word is deeper. And you feel yourself drawn to the top of the stairs, and you step on the top step, and you feel deeper. And you take another step, and you go deeper, and you feel more relaxed. And with each step, now you're taking a step at a time on your own, and with each step you feel yourself getting more relaxed, more comfortable, happier, and deeper. Now you're about a quarter of the way down and a quarter of the way deeper than you were before. And with each step, you go deeper. And now there's just a few more steps to the bottom. And you take them a little bit slowly now because you feel yourself getting more tired and deeper. And those last few steps are almost like you're moving through wind or water. Slower now. Deeper. And now the last two steps. Deeper. And deeper. And as you come off the bottom of the stairs, you can barely walk, not because you can't, 
But because you're so relaxed, you have no reason. And then, appearing in front of you, you see an escalator. And the escalator is going down as well. And you see yourself float onto the top of the escalator, and you feel yourself start to go down. And there, written on the sides of the escalator, on the little wall below the railing, you see a word coming up as you descend. And as you get deeper, and as you get more and more relaxed. And that word is also deeper. And as you float down the escalator, and there's nothing else there, just the escalator and just you, you're getting more and more relaxed and deeper. And as you reach the bottom of the escalator and you float off, in front of you appears an elevator door, and you're literally floating toward the door. The door slides open. You find yourself floating inside and turning around. You watch the door close. You see the buttons on the wall, except they're not like regular buttons for regular buildings. There's only one button. It's got an arrow, and it points down. And it's labeled Deeper. And you feel yourself touching the button almost as if your arm was acting on its own. It was your right arm, the heavy one. Your light arm is still getting lighter. And as the elevator starts to go down, you feel it. You feel yourself first getting lighter. Then you feel the weight of the elevator um, evening out. And then as it comes to a stop, you feel yourself momentarily getting heavier. But just as the elevator stops and you reach your heaviest, it reverses. Your weight does, not the elevator. And you find yourself lifting up off the floor of the elevator, floating. And you float out of the elevator, and there hanging in front of you is a giant pendulum. And the pendulum is going from left to right. And as it goes from left to right... There's some words that float at the highest point on the left of the pendulum and the highest point on the right. And it's the same word. Deeper. And as you watch the pendulum go to the top left, deeper. And to the right, deeper. And to the left, deeper. And to the right, deeper, you feel yourself going to your absolute maximum relaxation. And now, completely relaxed, you bring your mind back to where you were in this world. And now your right arm may have continued to get heavier or it may have waited until we got back before it continues. And your left arm now is going to be so light that you're going to feel the difference first in your smallest muscles of your right arm, actually in your fingers of your right arm and right hand. And you might feel that one of the fingers on your left hand starts to twitch. might be your pinky, might be a thumb. And you'll notice it'll be very small at first, 
might not even be noticeable. You might feel it and not even be able to see it. Very small. And each time you feel that little energy, that little, that little bit of energy that hits your fingers, and you feel them move, every time they move, even the smallest amount, a little bit of weight transfers over to your right arm, makes it heavier, and your right one lighter. For some of you, your left arm is already so light that you could feel as if it might start to lift from where it's resting. You might feel so light, it's almost as if, and all of you will be able to imagine this now, a helium balloon had been tied to your wrist. It's a pretty big balloon. It's so big that it can actually tug on your arm a little bit. It wouldn't be able to lift your arm if it were the normal weight, because it's just a balloon. It's a balloon full of helium, but it's just a balloon. But your arm now is so light that it's starting to feel the tug. It's starting to lift. Now, for some of you, the arm is already lifting. For some of you, it's about to lift. You're all feeling at least a little bit of sensation in your fingers. And for those who feel that sensation growing, and you feel the lightness in your arm, and you feel it start to float, it will actually start to rise up off of the surface it was resting on. You can feel the balloon tugging it, or not necessarily. It may be just so light the balloon is unnecessary. But once it's up there, and it's floating by itself you'll feel that it starts to be brought back toward your cheek. You'll feel your hand that's floating on that floating arm start to be drawn back to your own left cheek. And as your hand starts to be drawn back to the cheek, maybe very slowly at first, you might not feel it right away. You might not feel anything right away. But as that feeling grows, that that irreversible and irresistible pull, almost like a slight magnetic force is causing these two things to come together. But the moment your left arm or hand hits your left cheek, all of the weight will return to your arm and it will go back to its resting place and it will just drop. And when it drops, after it hits your cheek, and all that weight returns, and your right and left arm even out in weight, you're going to reach the deepest, most profound relaxation you've ever experienced. And now in this deep and relaxed state, you've opened the user interface to your own mind. You have full control operating through me as your assistant. You relax and keep an eye on me. Make sure that what I suggest is what you want, because you have full control over that. And here's what I want. I want you to experience a complete end to your biggest problem. You know what it is. I don't even have to mention it. But you're finding now that Inside your mind, there's a thing called 
neuroplasticity. It's what allows you to learn. It's what allows you to grow. It's the fact that your brain actually reprograms itself on command. You just have to know how to tell it to. You know how to tell it to learn something, and it changes when you learn. Your brain is physically different when you learn. You are now in a programmable state. And your biggest problem is starting to dissemble. Already it's breaking into smaller parts. And you can see the smaller parts of your bigger problem become clear. And as those parts become clear, so too do their solutions. And it will be a different problem for each of you. You all have your own. But you now have experienced your own brain activating to solve the problem that your conscious brain was stumped by. I'm going to employ the subconscious part of your brain to dissemble your biggest problem into its smallest parts. And then the rest of your brain is going to solve each of those small parts one at a time. It might be that you need a system. It might, need, might be that you need to change something. But those small changes that you needed to make to add up to the big change you needed, it was hard to get started, wasn't it? It was a little hard to get off the couch. It was a little hard to make that phone call. It was a little hard to talk to that person. It was a little hard to sign up for that thing you needed. But now you can. Because you've taken the big problem and you've broken it into small parts. And when you look at each of the small parts, you say, well, that's not hard. I can dial the phone. Let me just do the next part. Dial the phone. I can talk to somebody. I can say hi. That's easy. Let's do the next part. And when you find that all of your problems can be dissembled to small parts, and you can take the smallest step on each one toward fixing it, and keep in mind, not everything you do will be immediately the right thing. Some of it is experimenting. Sometimes you're going to find out what doesn't work in your process of finding out what does. Let me give you this one story from actor Michael Keaton. He said that when he did interviews or uh, he did auditions for parts, it was a very destructive feeling because you would go there and quite often you don't get the part. And so it feels like a failure. And he would go home feeling like a failure. Until he, relearn- he learned to reframe his experience. And no longer did he say, I'm there to get that job and if I don't get it, I fail. He said to himself, interviewing and auditioning is my job. If I went to an audition today, I did my job. And I'm happy about that, because I did my work. I had a job, and I did it. And I got better at it, and I increased my odds of getting a job. Now every time he goes to an interview, or an audition, he doesn't think, what if I don't get it, what if I do? He thinks, today will be successful. I did my job. I went to an audition. He'll get some of those jobs. He doesn't know which ones, but he knows that he has to go to auditions to do it. And so you, too, will find that all those smaller things you need to do to fix everything in your life are now more accessible. Instead of seeming like one big impossible thing, now it seems like a bunch of little steps, each one quite accessible. And it doesn't matter what your problem was. Maybe you were anxious. Maybe you had a mental problem. Maybe you had an actual real-life problem. 
Maybe it's pain. Could be anything. All of your solutions will be different, but in each case, you're going to A-B test yourself to success. Try solution A. If it doesn't work, discard it immediately. Try B. If it doesn't work, discard it immediately. Try what's next. You are now all on a path toward increasing the quality of your life substantially. And now, from your relaxed state, you're going to feel yourself getting less and less relaxed, but in a good way. When you wake up and open your eyes, you will be completely awake and energized and feeling good and ready for the day. And every bit of this will stay with you and allow you to break your big problems into small automatically, and all of them will seem more accessible and solvable, and then you will. And I'm going to count backwards from 20 to 1. When I hit 1, your eyes will open. You'll be awake and refreshed, feeling better than you've ever felt in your entire life. 20, 19, 18, getting more awake, 17, 16, 15, 14, getting more awake, happier, 13, 12, 10, 8, 6, 5, 4, almost completely awake, 3, 2, and now completely awake, 1, hello. Now, there's a thing that happens right after hypnosis. And I'm going to do it right now. It's the part where I ask you about your experience, and then you tell me. Tell me what you felt. Tell me, uh, did your arm feel lighter? Yes or no? Did anybody's arm feel lighter? Yes, yes, yes. No. Yes, yes. No. Yes, no. Yes, no. Now, that's about, that's about the ratio one would expect. Now, with hypnosis, remember I told you you can't do it um, as easily if you're not there in person. For those of you who didn't feel anything, if I had been there in person, you would. You would. Because I would, I would see that you weren't feeling it. Part of hypnosis is observing somebody and knowing if what you're doing is having the right impact. So I would have been able to observe you directly not having an impact, because you can tell. And then I would have changed what I was saying, or I would have spent more time getting you into the mood before I got the result I wanted. But I will tell you that pretty sure 100% of the people that I've ever done hypnosis on in person felt the, the arm floating. Um, I, don't think I don't think it's ever not worked in, in my experience. Um, did you ad-lib that? It's, uh, that's actually um, less than a complete <laughs> induction. So that's called an induction, but it wasn't complete. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so one of the parts that... Uh, would normally be part of that, would be some counting from 1 to 20 and then from 20 back to 1. And what that does is it, it serves to just deepen you. So, so there's sort of a filler or extender part of that that actually takes a while. Why 20? Uh, it's a random number. It, you know, 10 just happens too quickly, and 30 is unnecessary, so there's, there's no reason for 20. 
Yeah. So you don't, here's what you don't need. Let me tell you what parts of hypnosis are not the active ingredients. The, the tonal quality of my voice is not important. Um, the pauses uh, are not completely necessary, but I like using them because they make you focus on me. So sometimes you'll have to wait for my next word. I do that intentionally. So if I say you need to wait for my next word, for a moment there, all of your attention just went, why is that blank there? What's that next word? Okay. If I were just talking consistently, your attention would be with me, but sometimes you'd be thinking about other things too. You would be dipping in and out. But my pauses make you say, okay, there's something going on here. I've got I to focus on this. I don't want to miss that next word. So that's why I do it. <clears throat> so focus and repetition and association, relaxation, um, influence, you know, just from other people. We just pick up the influence. Expectations, priming. You know, these are all the components. And then feedback. That's probably the most important one. Watching what works and then adjusting it. Now, once somebody is hypnotized, you're going to have to give them a suggestion that you know, makes sense for them specifically. So since I was doing everybody who was watching at the same time, there are now uh, a few thousand of you, um, I had to go with something that I knew would work for every single person. Because there's nobody here who doesn't have a problem that they need to break down and solve. I was going to go with confidence. That's the other thing that would have worked. Because everybody's better off with more confidence, you know, as long as it's not crazy. So that's, that's another good one you can do with everybody. You use the pause count in sales. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> all right, how many of you were afraid to participate in this little experiment because you didn't want to give up your control? Anybody have that feeling? You didn't want to give up your control. Yeah, some of you. That's usually what I hear. But the thing you need to know about hypnosis, and this is something I would have put in the pre-talk. So what, what you saw was a very uh, compacted one. If we were doing this in person, it would be like a 45-minute to an hour thing. So every, everything would have been extended, and there would be a lot more detail in, in the, in the uh, entire process. But one of the things I would have told you is this. The hypnotist is never in charge of you. The hypnotist is never in charge. And there's nothing that you would do that you wouldn't feel was perfectly appropriate for you to do. So under hypnosis, if I said to you, uh, go buy a gun and kill my enemy, you would sit there and you'd have exactly the same thought you would have now, which is, what? <laughs> Why would I do that? I'm not going to do that. Yeah, there would be no difference in your thought process under hypnosis and outside of hypnosis. None. You'd say, I'm not going to do that. So you don't have to worry about anything you know, taking over your brain. Everything, everything's transparent. Greg says he was afraid I would molest him. Now, Greg, playing is safe, and I think that was a, a wise move, because I know where you live. All right. Um, uh, can you get rid of an Amber Heard? 
<laughs> you have an Amber Heard problem? Run away. That's all you can do. Yes, so there was a little uh, thinking past the sale. That's part of the process, too. Yeah, um, if you're trying to change a narcissist, don't. Go to YouTube, spend an hour looking at uh, the experts talking about how to handle a narcissist, and every one of them will have the same advice, no exception. Get out of there. Yeah, just run away. No, nobody says work it out. Nobody. There's no expert who says stay there and work it out. None. Because the problem is they feed on you. If you fall into the frame that you're in a relationship, you're doomed. Because they're not in a relationship. You are their food. You're their food. So it's like saying, well, I've got this hungry wolf who has no other source of food. I'm trying to work things out with him so he doesn't eat me and use me as his food. There's no amount of training you can do to make a starving wolf not eat you if you're his food. <laughs> so trying to get a narcissist to not, uh, not consume you, that's nothing. Because the more you try to make it not happen, the more they enjoy it. Right? The more you struggle, the happier they are. Right. So run away. Just run away. Uh, could I hypnotize Jennifer Aniston for you? Absolutely. I'll get right on that. All right, well, you can see what happens when I'm not prepared. Was there anything in the news today? So I saw that the, uh, the Republicans came out with this, uh, some kind of, uh, what are they calling it? The House uh, Commitment to America. And it's going to include fighting inflation, border security, Protecting women's sports. <laughs> Does protecting women's sports should that be right in the on the top line of your national policy? I wonder if they've done some research to find out that it actually gets votes. It might. I don't know. Maybe it gets votes. Yeah. So where's where's fentanyl on there? So apparently fentanyl is not as important as protecting women's sports. But he does say border security. I mean, that's part of fentanyl, but it's just a small part. <clears throat> Do most of you know that closing the border wouldn't have that much impact on fentanyl, right? Because the way the government is uh, fooling you is by telling you how much they're uh, how much they're capturing on the border. Don't fall for that. Don't fall for how much they're capturing at the border, because that's a trick. <laughs> that has everything to do with how much is being shipped. Do you know why they're catching so much of the border? Because the border is the easiest place to ship it. If the border were the hardest place to ship it, how much would they catch? None. And how, how much fentanyl would get in if the border was completely sealed? How much fentanyl would get in? if the southern border was completely sealed, not a, not a single person or pill got through there, how much fentanyl would get to the United States? No, the answer is all of it. All of it. You just put it on a boat. <laughs> do, you, do you know, I could put enough fentanyl to kill uh, San Francisco, and it would be the size of a baseball. 
and I'd walk up to the fence with enough fentanyl to kill everybody in San Francisco. It would be in my hand, the size of a baseball. And I'd say, hey, Juan, catch. And I'd throw it over the wall, and Juan would catch it. And say, thanks for this ball of fentanyl that's enough to kill everybody in San Francisco. See you next week. Uh, the, the thing that um, the country doesn't understand, and the, re- the reason you don't understand it is because the government does not want you to understand that. The Republicans don't want you to understand that border security won't help you with fentanyl. You know why? Because they want border security. Oh, fuck. Did I just figure out why the Republicans are not working on fentanyl? Because they want border security? That's got to be it. That's got to be it. I've been wondering why the Republicans have been worthless pieces of shit about fentanyl from the start. Complete worthless pieces of shit. They need it, they need it for the political. They need it to, to, to make the border argument stronger. And it's pure bullshit. Oh, you motherfuckers. You fucking, fucking motherfuckers. You better separate those issues or I'm going to take you down. I'm going to take down anybody who keeps saying that border security is, is their answer to fentanyl. I started with Carrie Lake. <clears throat> Carrie Lake um, responded to one of my tweets yesterday with her um, plan for fentanyl. The biggest part of that plan was border security. Carrie Lake, you're a fraud. You're a fraud. You're a fucking fraud. Carrie Lake, you are a fraud. You need to separate... Um, Fentanyl from border security. Border security has a little bit to do with it, maybe 10%. But you are a fucking fraud. And if you don't separate those topics, I'm going to take you down with everybody else who's doing the same thing. You're all liars. <clears throat> you're, <clears throat> you're a fucking liar. You're a fucking liar if you're saying that border security is your answer to fentanyl. You know it's not. You know it's not. And don't tell me how much you caught at the border. That's an irrelevant number. Don't tell me how much Trump caught at the border. And let me, let me say this just as clearly. I think Trump said something about how much was caught at the border or something on his interview. Fucking bullshit. Fucking Trump bullshit, right? Now, it might be the right number of how much they caught. What I'm saying is, is if you let them talk about how much they caught at the border, they're not doing their fucking jobs. And they're not trying to. They're trying to fool you into the issue. The issue is border security. Let's get that border security. Now, I'm all for border security. You know that. I love my border security. I would even like a wall wherever it makes sense. But if you're trying to conflate this with fentanyl, fuck you, you monster fucking piece of shit. That's what I think of you. If if you tell me that border security is your fentanyl plan. Here's a fentanyl plan. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get Narcan in every home, or every car, or something like that, because Narcan is a you know a way to save somebody who's overdosing on fentanyl. We know that we know it works. Now it's not like a perfect solution, right? You'd have to know how to use it. You'd have to get there in time. You'd have to know it's the right you know, time to use it. So it's not perfect. But if you got Narcan in every home you would probably take a third of the overdoses away, just guessing. But I would think at least a third of them would end. You know, the rest of them, there's nobody around, they can't find their 
can't, don't know how to use it, whatever. But right now, I think that you need a prescription for Narcan. Can somebody do a fact check on that in the United States? Maybe a difference by state? I don't know. But I think you need a prescription for Narcan. Do you know what that means? That means nobody's going to fucking get it if you need a prescription. Right? Carrie Lake, if you want to be useful, tell your people how to get some fucking Narcan. Skip your entire speech and just give us the instructions of how to get Narcan, and you will be the number one best fentanyl fighter in the United States, and I will support you. Because that would be the best plan. Nobody else has a plan. Carrie Lake, if you tell me that you would do what Matt Gates suggests and bomb the cartels, then you have a plan. Now you have my attention. I don't know if that's a good idea or a bad idea, frankly, but you have my attention, and I want to talk about it, Find out if it's good. So stop fucking with us with this border security equals fentanyl. You're fucking liars. You're all fucking liars and idiots. If you believe it's true, well, then you're just an idiot. Right? So pick your choice. If you're going to sell us this bullshit, you tell us you're an idiot or a liar. Idiot or liar. Two fucking choices. Idiot or liar. And every time you hear somebody say border security is their answer, to fentanyl, you should say this question. That's interesting. Are you an idiot or a fucking liar? Because you know that's not true. You know it's not going to work. And you think we don't know that. You think we're fucking stupid enough to think that your border security is really your fentanyl problem. It's not. It's not your fentanyl. It's not your policy. You don't have a fucking policy. Republicans? Republicans? You don't have a fucking fentanyl policy. And this piece of shit... This, this new Republican House piece of shit, total fail. Total failure. Absolute total failure. McCarthy, sorry, you failed today. All you fucking Republicans failed. You all fucking failed. You know, I always wondered what would happen when um, I wasn't afraid of anything. You ever wonder about that? What would happen if you weren't afraid of anything? You know that when I call for the bombing of the cartels, I'm putting my life in jeopardy, right? You know that the odds of being, me being tortured and killed are pretty high right now. You know that if I go after Russia and Putin, he does kill people in other countries. <laughs> His critics. He does. You know that the odds of me being canceled for God knows what, are very high, right? But the controls are coming off. I'm just going to play this like a video game until the end. And what I mean is, if I don't respawn, that's fine. I'm just going to put it all on the table now. If I don't get this fentanyl thing taken care of, I'm not going to be happy when I you know, go to my dirt nap in the end. I'm going to get this done. And if I don't get it done, I'm going to destroy people on the way. I'm going to destroy anybody who gets in my way. Because they're doing it intentionally. I wouldn't destroy anybody who just didn't understand or you know, it was accidental. You know, maybe they had other priorities. Oh, okay. But if you are intentionally fooling me 
about what you can or cannot do about fentanyl, or you're ignoring the biggest problem in the fucking country, then you're going to have to get out of the way. And if you don't get out of the way, I'm going to take you fucking down. Carrie Lake is first on my list. I know you love Carrie Lake, and that's part of the reason. And by the way, let, 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 me, let me say this directly. Carrie Lake's pretty awesome. Do we agree? As a political figure, as a communicator, as a personality, she's got a lot of skill. A lot of skill. I'd be surprised if she lost the election. But I will fucking take her down if she doesn't separate border security from fentanyl. And everybody else. It has nothing to do with Carrie Lake, right? She just happened to be the first one who walked into my... Yeah, into my kill zone. <laughs> if you walk into the kill box, <laughs> don't, don't complain to me. And McCarthy just walked into the kill box. I have no problems with McCarthy, but if you're going to sell me this bullshit plan and it doesn't have any serious fentanyl anything in it, uh, I'm going to resist it and mock it and uh, try to get you to do the same. I wonder if I didn't have enough coffee this morning. What am I going to do to the Dems? I'm going to make them compete. And I'm going to try to get uh, 1 to 10 million uh, voters to treat this election as potentially a single-issue a single vote. Because I would, I would take another uh, four years of Biden. I know. I would take four more years of Biden if he had a plan to beat fentanyl and it sounded like it really would get it done. Now, that's not going to happen, so you don't have to worry about it, right? But that's how serious I am. I think Biden's a disaster. But I would take four more years of him because he's the tourniquet president. Let me put it another way. In my opinion, the next president is the tourniquet president. Right? The tourniquet is the thing you have to do right away, and nothing else matters. It doesn't matter if you have a headache if you're bleeding to death. So you've got to put the tourniquet on and stop the bleeding. Then maybe you work on the headache. Fentanyl is the, is the bleeding arm. We're at war. We're at war and we're acting like we're not. We should be on war footing, literally military war footing. The military of the United States should be protecting the homeland and isn't fucking do it. Let me ask you, how many trillion fucking dollars does our homeland security people have? How many trillions? And, and, and what have they done for fentanyl? They've captured the excess that didn't make any difference. That's what they've done. There's not a single fucking person in this country who can't get fentanyl if they want it. All of the fentanyl they caught, all of it, how much difference did it make? With all, the, all that they caught, how many fewer people took fentanyl? None. None. Because there was so much, it didn't matter how much you caught. It just didn't matter. So we're actually working on the don't matter part, the part that couldn't make any difference, how much you catch. Couldn't make any difference. Stop being gullible. Don't care. And in fact, here's another thing for you. The next time you see somebody bragging about how much they caught at the border, here's what you should respond to. Not, wow, that's a good job. You sure caught a lot of stuff at the border. How about you miserable fucking cunt? That is a distraction. Because you know how much you catch at the border has nothing to do with anything. 
because there's so much coming in the border. You could catch fucking truckloads of it, and they would just make more. Because there's so many holes in the fucking border, they can put it through there all day long. You catch 10% of it, oh, great. You caught 10% of what has doubled. Good job, fucking worthless pieces of shit. Stop lying to us. Stop fucking lying to us about fentanyl. Border security won't get it done, and no matter how much you catch, irrelevant, completely irrelevant to the issue. And so, I don't think uh, I maintained your relaxed state that I generated in the beginning of this. (laughs) All right. Uh, Was there anything else going on? Let me check the news for the um, other things. Let's see. There's something that's less important than fentanyl, something less important than fentanyl. Fuck you. It's all less important. That's all I'm going to talk about today. Um, (laughs) Any other questions? Oh, there was another thing that I saw people were trying to understand. Um... Here's, here's how you don't want to be an NPC. Are you ready? Here's what the NPCs say about fentanyl. But, 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 it has legitimate legal uses. Don't be that person. Of course it has legitimate legal uses. Of course we want that to continue. Of course it should be legal medically. Of course. Who's going who's gonna to argue with that? If you need to bring that up, don't. Now, I get, I get that there could be you know, too much tightening and you, know, it, you could go too far in the medical sense. I'm not promoting that. There's nothing I've ever said that said, tighten up on the prescriptions. Have you ever heard me say that? Have I ever said, tighten up on those prescriptions? No, I think it's an issue that people who know what they're talking about should deal with, but I'm not one of them. I don't know. Have they done enough, done too much? I don't know. That's not my issue. So just leave that out. Medical fentanyl, let me ask you, do 100% of you support medical use of fentanyl if there's not a good alternative? Right? Yes. So don't be an NPC and bring that up because it's a distraction. You're not helping. If you want to, if you want to make the argument worse and more confused, just talk about the medical stuff. That's that's nothing. Here's the second thing you a lot of people don't know, and I thought they did, but they don't. Did you know that people do score fentanyl directly? Did you know that addicts? By the way, there was a time when I didn't know this either, but addicts do go and look for fentanyl. They say, "Can you sell me some fentanyl?" And the dealer says, "I've got some fentanyl." Here's your fentanyl. And the dealer says, that's exactly what I want, like I use every time, and I'll go shoot up my fentanyl. Does that guy die? Does, it, does that guy die, the guy who bought his fentanyl? Usually no. Do you know why he doesn't die? Because he knows his fentanyl. Right. Right. If I put a, a, a wild live tiger in your house and said, don't go in there, there's a wild tiger in your house, well, you'd probably be fine, because you wouldn't go in there. But if you didn't know, you might go in there and the tiger kills you. It's the people who get fentanyl and don't know it, because they don't know they're overdosing. 
If you have fentanyl, you've probably learned what is too much. You know, maybe by observation or some other way. I don't know. However, however addicts learn. But they know, um, they also know how to sit. Did you know this? The, the, one of the reasons that people die of fentanyl is they'll be sitting in a chair and they, they pass out and their, their head nods down like this. And it cuts off their oxygen and they don't wake up. So if you knew that you could lay back so that your, your head didn't fall forward, your odds of dying go way down. So that, that's just one, you know, one part of the technique. So the point is, um, we're not worried. We're not worried about medical fentanyl. Let's be really clear about that. I'm not asking for any changes in medical fentanyl. Maybe, maybe some are needed, but I don't know about them. So I'm not asking for that. And I'm not, I'm not asking for... Well, I'm not saying there's a big problem with people who are intentionally trying to get fentanyl. The problem is the accidental stuff and the stuff that looks like candy that's killing people. That, that's uh, Apparently, this new, there's a new fentanyl pill that looks like it's, it's made to look like candy. And apparently, it's killed a number of people under 15 recently. Not a coincidence. Rainbow. What's it called? Rainbow cakes? Or rainbow pills? Or something like that. So rainbow drugs of some kind. So, those are the things you need to know. Now you are uh, now you're up to date on fentanyl. If you attack the cartels, no one will come to their defense. No, if you attack the cartels, the the risk is that they would attack the homeland through terrorist acts. Um, that's why we should negotiate with the cartels. So, as much as I want the heads of the cartels to be killed. I would still very happily settle for negotiating some kind of a climb down from their business. In fact, I would hire the cartels to keep the other car- I would hire one cartel to keep the other cartels out of this business because you know if one stopped the other ones would pick it up. So I'd I'd hire this Sinaloa cartel to be the enforcers to kill the other cartels if they try to sell fentanyl. And then I would give the Sinaloa cartel full control of the border-crossing business. And then I would negotiate with them. Maybe. You know, I'm just talking off the top of my head. But we, we have to do things that we've never done before. And it might be that you need to negotiate with terrorists. You might need to negotiate with terrorists. Now, we say we never do that, but of course we do. <laughs> there are heads of state we negotiate with and are practically terrorists. Of course we do. We negotiate with Iran. What's the difference? Okay, there's a difference. Do you think our intelligence community isn't already hiring the Sinaloa cartel to sell fentanyl? No, I don't. I do not think that they're doing that. I do think that maybe... Intelligence agencies are using cartels for some kinds of mutual benefit. That's probably true. So you actually think that the our American intelligence, American intelligence, you think the CIA is helping the cartels sell fentanyl into the United States? And what would be the reason for that? 
Okay, somebody actually thinks, is saying that, oh, a lot of you do. <laughs> oh, my God. Why? To make black ops money? No. So, so there's some people that think the CIA is funding itself with fentanyl. Well, that would explain a lot, wouldn't it? I don't believe that's true. Because, it, um, so let me, let me just say that. So I don't believe that's true. I do understand that there's a history of the CIA getting dirty money in, in sort of that kind of context. Um, it could be true. I don't think it's true because of the number of people dying from fentanyl. See, if you found out that the CIA was pushing um, cocaine, you'd say to yourself, I hate that, but you'd probably get over it. <laughs> if you heard they were pushing fentanyl, you wouldn't get over it. Am I right? Am I right? If you heard that the CIA was dealing uh, or helping dealing um, cocaine, I think you can get over it because you look, oh, it's a dirty business. But if you heard that they were selling fentanyl into the United States and it killed a quarter of a million Americans knowingly, no, <laughs> no, they couldn't. They couldn't risk being caught with that. That would be too much of a risk. Plus, that would make them traitors. It wouldn't matter why they were getting the money under your scenario. It wouldn't matter why they thought they had some good reason to get this money. They would still just be traitors. Do you think there are that many people in the CIA who are literally just traitors? I don't know. I doubt it. Somebody says yes. A lot of you think yes. You think that the CIA is filled with traitors. You're harsh. All right, I'm not going to go that far. I can't go that far. Because too many people would know about an operation like that. There would be a whistleblower in there somewhere. Too many whistleblowers. All right, well, I think we've, meet, we've reached a peak distrust. Peak distrust. And maybe that's good. I'm not even sure that's bad. You know, when we talk about how it's terrible that we're not trusting our institutions anymore, do you say to yourself, oh, that's bad. That's bad that we don't trust our institutions anymore. I don't say that. I feel like we reached a higher level of awareness. I'm not sure that's ever bad. All right, well, it appears that I managed to babble for over an hour with no preparation whatsoever. I've told you before that uh, that's a learned skill, if I ever mentioned that. that of course I have, <laughs> too many times. Yeah, The Dale Carnegie course teaches you to do what you just watched. Uh, every, uh, I'm going to make a statement that I think is true. It might be an exaggeration, but I think this is actually true. I think everybody who took the Dale Carnegie course that I took could have uh, awakened 10 minutes before uh, a live, one-hour live stream and filled it, and you wouldn't know. It's actually a skill. So that is a really valuable part of the talent stack. I mean, imagine you were in my place. Two minutes before I went live, well, actually, when I went live, I didn't have any idea what I was going to do. I didn't have even a tentative plan. I had no idea where it was going to go. But I also didn't worry. Because what the Dale Carnegie course teaches you to do is have you know, little packets of stories in case you need to whip one out. Now, that somebody, I was lucky this time because somebody asked about hypnosis. And as soon as you asked about hypnosis, I thought, oh, 
I could do 45 minutes on hypnosis with no preparation whatsoever. So I did. Uh, but you should always have you know, your 10-minute story, your 45-minute story. So you should always be walking around with, with little packets of things you, could, you can use in times like this. Yeah. What time did I fall asleep last night? Um, last night I fell asleep at uh, probably 10 p.m. Then again at 12 p.m., 1.30. Again at 2.30, 3.30, 4.30, and 5.30. Falling asleep is easy. I hate being asleep. I'm physically uncomfortable when I sleep. I just don't like it. I just hate it. Yeah, sometimes, you know, you use the restroom. Sometimes, uh, anyway, it's one thing after another. Lucid dreaming, no. No, I, by, by about 2 a.m., I didn't want to be sleeping anymore. I just desperately wanted the night to be over, and I just wanted to be awake. I don't like sleep. I don't like it at all. Your whole life were getting worse. Oh, getting worse. The, the, I know how to sleep, right? So if, if you ask me to do an essay, um, Scott, do you have a problem sleeping? Would you know how to fix it? Yes. <laughs> yes, I know how to fix it. It would be easy. Don't go to Starbucks at 3 in the afternoon and have a giant caffeinated beverage. It's not really hard. <laughs> That's all it would take. And yesterday I got busy and I didn't exercise. Have I ever told you the, my two out of three theory of happiness? Have I mentioned that? The two out of three theory? The two out of three theory goes like this. I have to do at least two of the following three things to have a good day. I've got to have productive work where, where I say to myself, I did, I did some good work today. I've got to have exercise and some physical intimacy. Right? Now, if you can't have two of those three, and it doesn't matter which two, I don't consider it a good day. So yesterday I had work. <laughs> some of you were following my, uh, my escapades. So you've seen the trouble I've been getting into you know, in the news. So if you're following the news and trending things, you know that I've been busy for the last few days. Yeah, the, the press has been just calling me all day long. Like All day long, my, my phone is begging, can you do an interview? I'm not doing any interviews. I'm just not going to do any on the topic of the cancellations. So, uh, but lots of requests. Oh, by the way, CNN asked me to be on. Does that surprise you? Yeah. Smirkanish. Now, I've told you before this Smirkanish is the real deal. So he, even though he's on CNN, he's actually just... Smirkanish. As far as I can tell, as far as I can tell, no matter what CNN was doing, Smirkanish was just being Smirkanish. So he's the only one that I would say that about. Really? Well, maybe that's too far. There's probably some others. Uh, but, uh, probably some others. But if you were wondering if CNN has changed their um, editorial policy... Uh, they didn't ask me on for anything for several years. 
several years they did not invite me. But now I guess I, guess I could be invited under these. And by the way, the story that I was going to tell would not have been necessarily uh, a CNN-appropriate story. They were asking me to be on on the topic of being canceled in newspapers. At the same time, they knew the story was in the context of my anti-ESG stuff. So just think about this. CNN Today, with their current management, was going to have me on. They invited me to talk about anti-ESG and getting canceled. Although I have not connected the cancellation with the ESG. So I haven't made that connection. Uh, I don't know why I was canceled. It could have been any reason. Um, but just think about that. And so I, I turned them down, but only because I'm turning everybody down. And, and I had to praise the, the, the producer. I think I caught her off guard. I said, you know, I've got to just give you a compliment. I think your new management is totally working, and I don't think I would have been invited except for your you know, new change of direction, and I've got to give you some respect for that. It completely threw her, I think. She didn't know what to say. <laughs> I don't think she was expecting the compliment. So, Could be a setup, except that it was Smirconish. See, if, if, if it had been, say, Don Lemon, then I might say to myself, oh, you're going to you know, trick me somehow. And blah. But Smirconish is just is a straight shooter, so it would have been exactly what it looked like. I think he would have asked tough questions which was, that's his job. Uh, when was I last on Smirconish? A few years ago. But I've been on two or three times, I can't remember. I think there was one other thing I was going to tell you, but I don't remember. Oh, how many of you watched uh, The Five yesterday? Uh, and did you watch it all the way to the end and the handoff to Brett Bear? <laughs> if you watched it to the, the very end, Brett Bear did the funniest thing I've ever seen on the news. And he did it with a straight face. And the, the beauty is you don't expect him to, do, to, uh, to deliver the humor, especially this particular joke. But I'll give you the setup in case you missed it. I, I was freaking laughing. It, it was tremendous. So during the handoff, the people at the five will bring on a split screen with Brett Baer, whose show is up next. Now, Brett is the hard news guy, right? So he's just the news. And the five is you know, pure fun and, fun and opinion. And so they had a little fun little handoff there. So Jesse Waters had just announced earlier in the show that his other show, later, his special guest would be Scott Baio. And not, not the fake Scott Baio, but the real one. I guess there are some fake ones. Uh, so Jesse had uh, just said that. And Brett Baer comes on and with a complete straight face. He, he said he can't wait, can't wait to watch Jesse's show and, and Scott Baio. <laughs> he said it with a straight face. It was, it was just fucking awesome. <laughs> And, and Jesse was still on the screen, and you saw Jesse just lose it because he knew how funny that was, like, you know, basically laughing at his own, his own uh, technique. Now, the thing I love about Jesse Waters is, and I don't know how he arrived here. Like, I don't know how he arrived at this place, but he does a, a, a self-aware version of a biased Republican that is so fun to watch. 
Like, like sometimes it's a joke, but there's often a point in there that he really means. And, and, and sometimes you can't tell how much is a joke and how much is the point. And you really have to follow it. And I think he has... And by the way, I think, uh, uh, I think that Greg Gutfeld's influence on the rest of the five is just so obvious. You know, they've all tried to take their, their humor gene up a level, and he's, he's managed to do that for all the regulars. Um, do you remember when uh, 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 Harold Ford just started being a regular guest, and he seemed kind of stiff? And you're like, oh, Harold, you always say the same like, you know, monotone sort of thing. Like, get some personality. But I think uh, Greg and the rest of the staff you know, finally... Finally brought, brought him into the whole fold, and now he's great. Like, he's a really strong, strong uh, member of the cast. And uh, Jessica Tarlov, um, she's, she's also, like, raised her game. She's very entertaining now. Uh, that, that show is really tremendous. There was some point I was going to make there, but I think I got... Was there a point I was making that I got sidetracked on? I feel like I completely missed my point. Oh, the point was that uh, Jesse does a, a self-aware character so that when uh, Brett Bear was, was giving him some, uh, some shit about the, let's say, the weight, <laughs> the political weight of his, his guest, that even Jesse thought that was pretty funny. So that was, that was like my favorite, my favorite uh, three seconds of television in, in a year. It was just so, so well executed. Um, you think Jessica Tarlov um, is ridiculous? Her opinions? I don't think her opinions are ridiculous. I think they just mirror Republican, pretty standard Republican opinions. I think I think she does a good job. the The thing you want is: does she have the the fight? You know, does she have the personality, the charisma, the the humor, the you know, does she does she get it? And she does. So that's that's pretty. So I, I give her credit. I think she does a great job. Uh, McCarthy specifically called out China concerning fentanyl. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I take everything back. Ah, oh, here I was criticizing McCarthy, but it turns out he called out China. Oh well, I guess we're fine now. He called them out. Fucking nothing. Fucking nothing. Do you know what being serious about um, stopping their fentanyl trade would look like? Here's what it would look like. China, we've asked you to stop, um, shut down your internal fentanyl dealers. It's not optional. If you don't do it, we're going to do it for you. It's not optional. Because right now, China thinks it's optional, don't they? They think it's optional. Now, they might have to come up with some you know, new threat or a penalty to us, but you have to tell them, whatever happens after this, we're going to deal with that later. But I want to tell you one thing. In 30 days, your internal dealers are all going to be dead, plus whoever was standing next to them. All right? That part is not, in, that, that part is not up for debate. You can do it yourself. You can do it yourself. That's our choice. Our first choice is you take care of yourself. But if you don't, in 30 days, we're going to go wet. 
and there's nothing you can do to stop us, and I know you're going to threaten us with all kinds of, of you know, costs, and we will, we will accept that. Whatever it is you're going to do to us because of this, we accept. But the thing you need to know is there's no way in 30 days those guys will still be free and alive and doing business. You understand that, right? And then they would say, then they would say, oh, we have nukes and you know, we're, we're going to withdraw our diplomats and if you did that, we would have to maybe murder some of your people and we'd round up some of your people. And then you say to them, as clearly as you can, we understand. We understand. But in 30 days, they're all going to be dead. That's the only part you need to know. There's one fact here, and only one fact that you need to deal with. They're all going to be dead in 30 days. So you can do it yourself, or you can wait for us to do it. And you will have to respond, and we understand that, because you're a sovereign country. We do respect you, China. We do know you'll have to respond. But that's where you're going. You're not going anywhere else. You're not changing the topic. You're not distracting us. This problem ends in 30 days. And you just get to choose how it ends. I'm going to choose that it ends. You get to choose how. And if you want to work with us, we'll work with you. But it ends right now. Then you say to Mexico, Mexico, we know you don't have control over over the cartels. We know that when we invade your country, which we are, which we are, let me be clear, we're going to invade your country militarily. We know that you have to complain. We know you have to go to the United Nations. We know you have to do everything you need to do. But here's what we want you to know. We're going to do it anyway. We know that this is immoral and unethical. You might argue. We know the innocent people in Mexico are going to die, and we regret that. We're going to do it anyway. We know this could destroy relations with Mexico forever. We're going to do it anyway. We know that there are any number of bad repercussions from this. We're going to do it anyway. We know it might not stop fentanyl. They might find some way to reconstitute. We're going to do it anyway. So if you don't get to that level of decision, you're just talking. McCarthy's just talking. He's just talking. He's got nothing. So if all you're going to do is talk, I don't care how tough you talk, you've got to decide. And they have not decided, fuck anything. All right. I think that I'm going to leave it on that note. But wait, let's say something happy before we go. I need a million of you to say you'll be a single-issue voter. You wouldn't, be, you wouldn't be bound. You can vote any way you want it. But I need a million of you, at least, to say you'll be a single-issue voter. Okay? You need your politician to believe it could happen. You can vote any way you want once you get into the voting booth. Nobody's, nobody's going to... Uh, pen- there's no penalty. But I want you to be able to say it in public as often as you can. Say it in social media, tell your friends. You know, and you might even be lying. That's okay. Lying, lying is allowed for this topic. Lying is allowed to end fentanyl. So if you need to lie, go ahead. 
and just say, I'm going to be a single-issue voter on fentanyl. If enough people say they will be single-issue voters on fentanyl, we might be able to get our, our politicians to compete, and that's all I want. I just want them to compete for the best fentanyl plan. Everybody in? Good. YouTube, I'll talk to you tomorrow.